What's up? What's up, bitches? So I have a super exciting episode of Positively Uncensored today, just in case I have more people tuning in than the typical audience. Um, I'm Leah Sauer, the podcast host, and today I'm super excited to be joined by Case Kenny. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So just giving the audience and listeners like some background, um, I found your account because I've been sent your like motivational and inspirational quotes all the time. And then actually when I reposted something, one of my followers was like, you should reach out to him. He's actually really nice. Her name's Melanie. I guess <laughs> that she had spoken with you before. Now I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to be as nice as possible, <laughs> of course. Um, and I, I try to respond to as many people as possible because I have found so many like serendipitous relationships come from strangers on the internet um, connections. I love talking about myself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm never one to be like, oh, I don't have time to respond to people. I really do. And, uh, yeah, now I'm remembering how this one came together. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to be connected by strangers on the internet. And I feel the exact same way. And just giving more background, you have a podcast of your own, you're an author. And I would say that you're like a mindfulness expert with how much like personal research you've done on yourself and kind of like breaking down um, our most complex emotions and like how you process them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I would say I'm a mindfulness enthusiast. And I think uh, when it comes to you know, your own self-awareness and your own mindfulness really is a muscle. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it. So I'd say when it comes to my own mindfulness, I am an expert. And then what I like to do is I turn around and share what I've learned about myself. And it's a, it's a blessing that it helps other people. And I bring that to life on the podcast, in writing, in my journals, um, on, on Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really what I do is bring, bring mindfulness to life in as many different ways as possible. Mindfulness is one of those things where, you know, there's many different practices and yoga, you know, breath work, silent retreat, journaling, therapy, like, a, a, you know, a, a walk, you know, uh, there's so many different ways to practice it. Um, and I love I love that fact. And that's why I'm so passionate about doing as many different creative things as I can to bring it to life. What is your main way that you practice mindfulness? Like out of those that you just mentioned, what's your favorite? I mean, I would say journaling. Like that's like my business. I have a business where I create uh, journals and, and sell them. Um, so that always has worked for me. Like my creation of journals came from a very personal place. I wanted a journal and I couldn't find journals that really worked. And so I spent years developing these um, and it works really well. For me, though, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an enigma in, in a sense in that, you know, my personal life and my professional life are so intertwined. So I'd say for me, doing the podcast, I do it twice a week. I've done it twice a week for almost five years. That is part of my mindfulness practice as well. Sitting down, writing an outline, recording, editing, like thinking very um, introspectively and specifically about these topics. Just like you, you can't help but develop yourself through that process. So right. really everything I do is, is, is focused on that mindfulness. But journaling was certainly where it all started. I like hearing that perspective because after I've read a portion of your book, I know that you come from a corporate world like prior. So you've been in what some would consider stifling, like you've been in a stifling work atmosphere where you have no time. Maybe you do have time to journal, but you certainly don't have time to do two episodes a week where you are um, sitting down with time to like inflect upon yourself and how you want to reach others. So I feel like this is a much better outlet for that. Yeah, I mean, I 
I, yeah, I worked in, in corporate America for, for quite some time, um, you know, 10, 11, 11 years. Uh, and I also I worked in sales. So I ran a sales team. So it was like, you know, as type A aggressive, you know, corporate America as you can get. And it was, a, and it was a gift and it was a blessing and I did really well for myself and I worked for a great company. And it was during that time that I started the podcast because I wanted to find an outlet outside of a work identity to really, you know, you know, form some sense of self outside of it. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're passionate about something, you find time to do it. And I used to travel a lot. I covered various nations, various locations in the, in the, in the country for, for my sales team. I led a sales team. I had, you know, eight, 12 people report to me. I was traveling twice a week and yet I still found, find time to record and do these things. And that was because it was so important to me. And then, you know, it was, it was a gift to be able to eventually leave that behind and do it full time. And now it's, now it's a strange world. I will admit it's, it's a, it's a weird world to do what I do where I can get up and do whatever I want in a sense and, you know, to do these things that I'm so passionate about. And that certainly is a, a privilege and I'll, and I'll never <laughs> not say that, but I think having the contrast from working a, a corporate uh, job for so long um, definitely makes what I do now that much sweeter and more rewarding. And I think it's inspirational to realize that sometimes you can be really good at something, but it not ignite your passion. Like I could probably be great at sales. Mm, yeah. I know that I'm great behind a front desk. I have interpersonal skills that can really reach people. But when I'm there, that does nothing for me. Like I'm not living my passion. And I and just because you can be good at something doesn't mean that it could be what you want, you know? So I, it's totally a privilege to have the ability to, you know, work on your podcast full time, but it's also so important to recognize, um, like I'm sure you do when you're not happy or ignited by the position that you're in. Yeah. That's such a good point. And that's kind of like contrary in, in, in a little bit, because most people are like, well, what are you good at? And you go and do that. Like there's the whole Japanese concept of Ikigai, right? Which is like the intersection of what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can get paid for and so on and so forth. But the core tenant of that is what are you good at? Right. Um, and so, yeah, it can get a little confusing sometimes, especially when our identities are so formed around our jobs and, and you're good at your job. It's like, well, I'm, you know, I make money and I'm good at it. So why wouldn't that be my passion? And I think the fact that we don't question that a lot of the times, which is that we're not practicing my influence, that's where a lot of inner conflict come from, comes from because we're, we're not challenging that fact. And, you know, it's not always to be said, well, like you just got to push for more and different and like we need to be grateful for the things, the talents we have. Um, but I think, you know, just always leaving room for the thing that really pulls at you on a, as innermost level as possible. That is the thing that I think we should continue to pursue. And, you know, it, it could take a long time to find it. Certainly, I was never in a rush to leave my corporate job to do this full time. I was very content with building and building and building and learning and getting perspective. And um, that served me really well. But I think that's a great point you make about, you know, what you're good at. I mean, maybe that's not your thing. And maybe you could do that while finding something else and do them concurrently or different or whatever it may be, but leaving room for that, as opposed to, you know, following tried and true advice, like what our parents and our parents' parents would tell us, well, like, do what you're good at. No, you're good at that. You should do that. Right. Maybe it's not true anymore, you know? Right. And it's so true that you can do things um, concurrently as well. You know, like, I think that it's so easy for people to say nowadays, I just saw a post earlier. Um, I, I love her. She's called like peaceful Barb on Instagram um, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, you know, her, um, yeah. so I follow her. I usually love everything that she posts, but today, like one of her posts, like missed me just a little bit because it's sort of 
implies like this culture of if we're working, we can't be happy. And I think that it's, I think that you can find a job where you can be happy at and you can make time. Like you said, if it's important to you to make time for your passions, um, you know, they can coexist. You don't have to have a life where you just um, create your own schedule to be happy. You know, like you can work a, you can work a corporate job and we weren't throwing shade at it earlier. You know, people who have corporate jobs, you can work that and still leave room for your passion. I mean, frankly, I, I think, you know, a, a passionate life that is one where you're living your passion, I think it needs to come with a heavy dose of practicality in that I talk to people all the time, like, hey, oh my God, it's like, how did you leave your job? You do this full time. Like, I want to I want to do what I want to do full time. I think the best way to be happy is to do both concurrently. Be practical, pay your bills, do your stuff, take financial burdens off your back and build and build and build. And then one day you'll reach an inflection point and maybe you can go do that full time. I think the biggest detractor from living your passion is jumping into it too soon, full time, mm-hmm. thinking very binary, yes or no, being brainwashed by a lot of social media, which says, oh, you need to quit your job and move to Bali. That is living your passion. Right. I really don't think so. I think a living in a <laughs> practicality and passion, I think, go hand in hand until you reach a certain point, until you've proven it to yourself and then you jump into it. That's just my opinion. And I, I'm sure some people would disagree. Some people are like, you're you're either all in and you're, or you're all out. And that might be true for some people. I just found that you know, to, to live your passion, you need to have a sense of, of inner peace. And I think if you're, if you're struggling financially, that's a huge distraction, um, whether we want it to be or not. And I think, you know, side hustle, I love a good side hustle, side hustle, your thing, side hustle, your thing, even if it doesn't make any money, practice it, become a practitioner of it, get your 10,000 hours in and then see what to do. I just think a lot of time we put so much pressure on ourselves to be all in or all out. And I just don't think that's the sense. You could learn a lot about yourself through a professional job. And if you're really smart, maybe you could align your professional job in a sector that's parallel to your passion. And then you're double dipping. Like for me, sales was so beneficial for me personally. It it showed me how to have an opinion, how to stand up for myself, how to speak. And here I am doing the same thing. So I can go on and on about that topic, but um, I think it's one that uh, people, you know, can kind of challenge themselves on. And I think that it's really easy, like you mentioned briefly, to get wrapped up in social media's aspect and totally lose sight of practicality. Like as a podcaster, um, like I'm sure you can relate when you first start, like the pressure to just be a podcaster and like go all in and think that you can like match up with um, like one I can think of is like call her daddy off the top of, of my head. That's like a female yeah. host, yeah. right? Like you think, oh, like I've got this in a couple of months, but you know, it's such a privilege. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to do that. Like usually if you're able to leave your full-time job and all of a sudden pursue a passion on a whim. You have financial security that people don't know about, you know, like you have something to help you. And same with that idea of, um, like set your intentions and then forget it, like manifest it and it will come to you. Not without hard work. I think that that's so like such a loose sight of reality because where is the practical sense where you're going to apply yourself to that goal or like grind it out on a daily basis? I mean, it's such a good point. I mean, I love social media and I'm never one to be like, social media is fake. Everyone's lying. I'm, I'm not one to ever be like that. I think social media is, is so great and can be a great uh, enhancement of your mental health. 
but it needs to come with a heavy dose of healthy cynicism. Namely, the things you see on social media, you're seeing either people who are only displaying their highlight reels, who are outright lying, unfortunately, or you're seeing the exception, you're seeing the spectrums. So in the case of like seeing an Alex Cooper or a podcaster who's doing it full time for a living, you're, you're seeing the people who are at the ends, who are right. kind of the exception to the rule. You're not seeing the people who are grinding it out for 100 downloads a day. You're seeing the people who, who have reached that level. And if we're not... Um, if we don't challenge that, we're quick to assume that one, that's the easy path or what they have is what you need. And I, I just, I just think we, we just, we need to challenge ourselves and say, okay, that's what I want. I'm going to work for it. But because I don't have it right now, it doesn't mean I'm any less or anything like that. And certainly we don't put ourselves in a corner where we're like, oh man, I, I'll never be like that. What they have achieved is the 1% and you can become the 1%. You just need to work for it for a long time. I mean, I didn't make any money from my podcast for about four years. That's what it took. Um, right. You know, some people, of course, maybe that was slower than than, than normal, of course. Um, but then once it hits, you find your model and, and it works really well. But yeah, right. I think, uh, yeah, it's, you know, hard work and consistency is is the answer. And that's not the sexiest answer, but it's it's the truthful one. Yeah, it is. And you, um, we live in a day where there's instant gratification, at our fingertips all of the time. So when you see someone just make it overnight and they've done a video that pops off and all of a sudden they have this following of like a hundred thousand people who are now getting their videos all of the time, you can't compare the two. Like it's, it happens for some and it doesn't for others. And sometimes it could happen for you, but just further down the line. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the stories we hear are the ones that are highlighted. We hear about the caller daddies, the zero to hero. We hear about the Alex Earls, the zero yes. to hero. Like that's what we hear about. And we assume that anything that's not that means you're not a success. You know, no one would say case. It was an overnight success, certainly. And I'm still grinding it out every single day, but I have found a way to, to, to do well for myself. Um, it's just, it's not the sexiest way. Um, and it takes a lot of resilience. I, I call it more of stubbornness. Um, but I think that the best thing we can do is look to those people, the Alex's of, of the world and, and be inspired by, by them and see their example of what is possible, not as a reflection of what you lack. Um, and I think then the rest will take care of itself if you have a strong why behind it. I agree. And I also love that you slipped the Alex Earl reference in there because she's literally... Like I, there's not one day where I don't see a video about Alex Earl on my social media. Like it's, it's uh, a craze. Same. And I don't really even spend that much time on social media and I am not her target demo. Uh, right. I don't think. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how widespread that is. Yeah. I want to give people who might follow you, but are just kind of curious about your personal life. I want to give them like some nuggets and to ask personal questions. So What's your guilty pleasure TV shows that you like to watch, if you have any? Yeah, I mean the the broy answer would be like Entourage. Like I'm just a yeah. normal guy. I'm not this like right. fine guru guy. I love a good Entourage. It's a dude's dude show, and I, I rewatch it all the time. <laughs> Sopranos? Question mark. Uh, I would actually. I was going to say Sopranos would be a close follow up. To, right. Yeah. yeah. Totally cool. I like that answer. It's honest. No reality television for you. No. No, <laughs> I was ho- I was kind of hoping for it, but I'm not surprised by that. You yeah, don't need no, that. That's no, not your vibe. No. Um, what's the coolest experience that you've had since developing a platform? I know you've talked to a lot of people. Um, I mean, I, ha- I have crazy, you know, virtual interactions all the time. People saying I saved their lives, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, wow. The one, the one that 
comes to mind isn't that crazy in that sense it was just i just thought it was really funny i was i you know now that i'm in miami it's it's a little different but when i was in chicago i would get recognized all the time because i wear the same thing i wear this hat I, like i have the case kenny outfit and i'm walking around taking quotes i live downtown um but one time i was i was walking you know taking some some pics or whatever and i passed by this woman who did like a double take and then walk like aggressively <laughs> walked up and tapped me on my shoulder and she didn't say anything she just showed me her phone and she was listening to my podcast as she walked by me and i just thought that was really cool and it's you know so random cool. and you know you know it, it's easy to forget as a creator as a podcaster because we live in the virtual that you know you're the people who consume your content who get value from your content and listen to your content they're in the real world and it's just cool to see those things collide and you know since that kind of thing has happened a lot but i remember that one specifically that's such a cool experience. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of your signature look, do you have a sponsorship from Mad Happy over these years? Because it literally, like when I think of that hat, I think of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, no, um, I don't really do many sponsorships because I'm just focused on like building products and brands and stuff. But I like the hat because it kind of speaks I love for it. itself. And um, yeah. you know, people always ask me like, where, where's the hat from? I'm like, oh, it says it. Literally right says that's, it. That's where it's from. I love <laughs> that I actually, brand. I actually am working on my own hat, not brand, oh, cool. but just like a hat with my own kind of thing on it um, just because I wear a hat a lot. I'm excited to see it. Is it like a trucker hat kind of vibe still? <laughs> Very similar, just like with <laughs> a case, caseism on it as opposed to a mad happy. Cool. Well, I'll be looking for your merch. Um, when did your social media like initially take off? Do you remember what post did it if it was one? Uh, kind of actually. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd been posting on, I had like 20,000 followers or something on Instagram when COVID hit. And, um, you know, it was during that time I was like, man, you know, I really want to, you know, I had also been doing the podcast for about two years, two and a half years. And I was like, oh, why not grow the podcast? How do you grow the podcast where you grow it on social? And I was like, well, you know, I could post, you know, inspirational quotes on Instagram, just like everyone else does. And I think that's fine. I love people, anyone who posts a quote, but I was like, how can I make it more real? you know, instead of hopping into Photoshop or Canva and coming up with a one by one and putting it on there. Right. Um, and that's when I started writing on coffee cups and post-it notes. Um, I was like, I live in a beautiful city, beautiful backdrop. How can I bring reality and, you know, tactile feel into a quote? Um, well, everyone drinks coffee, so write it in a coffee cup. And I, I did one, it was like a series. I don't really remember what exactly I said, but I remember it was my first coffee cup quote where I held my coffee right. cup that I drank and I wrote on it. And then, you know, it started to blow up and, this was kind of bef- like there weren't, in my recollection, a whole lot of people who wrote inspirational quotes and handwriting mm-hmm. on things. There was a lot of people doing digital, of course. Right. Um, and then I just leaned into that really heavily. And that's kind of what blew up my my social and kind of never looked back in that sense. I think that there may like I think on the Good Morning America thing that you did, I think that mm-hmm. they show like your first post. So maybe oh, I can cool. like yeah, go that back was around to that. The same, that was around the same time ish too. Yeah. So cool. I have to, to go back. And Me too. I'll have to go second. back. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagining I know how to insert, like maybe I'll try to insert that Ooh. into this. Um, so are, I know that you had like a singles workbook and mm-hmm. like, what was the name of it? Just so that I don't mess it up. So I created, it was called singles, your superpower. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. So being that you're comfortable single, are you dating now? Do you like, do you keep yourself open to that? Uh, yeah, so I'm definitely in a relationship. I actually live with my girlfriend here in Miami. Um, yeah. Um, but I mean that book, you know, which came out two years ago, two years ago, um, 
you know, I was basically kind of single from 29 to 33. Um, and that came just from a lot of that perspective, just the, the growth that came from it, um, my enthusiasm for introspection and journaling. And I had released um, a journal before that, and people loved that one. And then a lot of people said, well, it'd be great to, you know, kind of journal specifically about the area that introduces the most angst in life, which is relationships. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. And I was like, what angle can I approach that from? And I think it was our aversion to being single in that, you know, we start to right. feel that there's something wrong with us or we're lonely, all these different feelings, which are totally valid. And I just wanted to approach it from the perspective of, of mindfully being empowered by being single. Um, and that's what I did with that book. And it was a good kind of cheeky title, single is your superpower and people enjoyed yeah. it. And, uh, you know, it did really well. And, you know, a lot of people come to me specifically for dating content, which is not my sole focus, but a lot of people do. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was proud of that, proud of that book. And it came out in a good time too, I think during, you know, COVID where people were kind of lonely and uh, reminiscing on relationships. So it's good timing. I think so too. I would like to look at it. Like I'm not a single, I'm in a relationship as well, but just to, just to like, see it. You know what I mean? Like it's always good to absorb things that are helpful and I could pass that along to a friend for sure when they go through that. Um, I want to go a little bit further into my questions since we were kind of on the topic. When you started dating your girlfriend, because you have like a very, um, like self-aware perspective of yourself and you're emotionally intelligent, what did you expect from her as you started dating? Like, how did you know that it would be a good fit? I mean, I, I, you know, frankly, I expect the same, um, maybe not the same level, but the same enthusiasm, the same curiosity, the same drive for that introspection. You know, I think that the, the word for me is understanding. That's an understanding of yourself and a desire to understand your partner. I think everything else is important, but that's the most important part. It's a desire to reach a level of understanding that that you know makes a relationship healthy that is coming to the relationship understanding yourself knowing what you want knowing what you need knowing how you communicate and then also being able to apply that same lens to your, to your partner to me that that was the most important element and it's the most important thing that i i put towards uh and encourage other people to look for in a partner because if you don't have that that's where all the other little problems add up and add up and add up and then you have communication problems and when you have communication problems that's where all the other problems come from so really if you can look at that as the core attribute in the beginning i think it solves a lot of those kind of downstream problems um and you know i think it comes with maturity as well like i don't think i really understood myself until i was you know, 32, 33, right. especially for men, like you, you mature at different rates. I mean, I was a different guy when I was 20, 25, 30, probably 35, like just like different versions. I think version, I don't know, 3.0 case, you know, that's the version who was like, all right, here is who I am. Here's what I represent. Here's what I'm confident in. And, right. you know, um, you know, looking for that kind of sense of reciprocity in a partner. I think that that's a good thing that to look for in a partner that people would forget to look for. Because if you don't have someone who's willing to understand you, and if you don't have someone who is is open to seeing where your emotions are coming from, then how could you ever work out long-term? Like you said, that that's what leads to um, the arguments and then resentment and then more issues that stem off of that. Yeah, I talk a lot about the topic. I mean, I think there's different levels of understanding, right? I think the most basic one that you need is someone who is open 
um, to giving based, giving you empathy, basically in an unlimited manner. You know, I talk a lot about the difference between understanding that and understanding why. And I think there's a big difference. Like you deserve someone who at face value understands that you feel a certain way. They don't need to necessarily understand why they certainly don't need to require you to explain why they just need to say, okay, you feel a certain way. Okay. I understand that. I accept that as valid. You need that in a partner. Base one. If you, if you don't have that, if you have someone who's like, well, that doesn't make sense, like you shouldn't feel that way, who challenges the way you feel, that's a problem. Um, the next Agreed. step, of course, is them, you know, uh, you know, you and them being open to really getting to the trigger or the action or whatever it is that led you to do that. And then having a healthy sense of challenging. Right. Um, but without that, that word, T-H-A-T, that um, everything else is, is kind of a moot factor. So that's how I how I look at it in the beginning, especially once you don't really you don't really know each other that well. But at least there's an encouragement, a willingness to say, OK, I understand that I don't I myself wouldn't feel that way. I don't understand where you're coming from, but I understand and I respect that. That's empathy. Right. I think empathy and, and understanding go hand in hand and is an absolute requirement. A basic acceptance of your feelings without trying uh, to change yeah. them, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you believe then when, like, since you'd want that in a partner, do you believe in unconditional love when people say they have that for a partner? I mean, I would say so on the surface, I would say so on the surface, there's always exceptions, of course. And, you know, people love to go nuts with, uh, you know, you know, there's a difference between unconditional love and unconditional, like what you put up with. And obviously there's a difference there. Um, I, I would say, you know, you deserve someone who unconditionally accepts that you feel a certain way. And there's a difference between accepting behavior, accepting feelings, accepting promises, and so on and so forth. But I think when it comes to the idea of empathy and understanding, that word unconditional is is step one. Um, you know, someone says they feel a certain way. Someone says that their action, their partner's actions made them feel a certain way. You have to accept that. You, right. you, you, can't, you can't change the way that something you did or didn't do made someone feel. What comes after that, though, is, is the real point, right? It's either changed behavior, it's communication, um, you know, it's, it's probably those two things specifically. And if those don't follow, that's where the issues happen. And that's where the unconditional probably deserves to be broken down further. Agreed. Because like you said, there is always a line, um, which could be different for certain people. In your work of what you do, what do you typically say to people who come to you being in cheat like relationships or they experience cheating? Like I'm sure you've had someone ask you that on your podcast oh, at God. some point. Yeah. I mean, th- that's one of those topics where I-, I don't have the best advice because privilege to say I've never been in that scenario. Um, Which and I, is and good. I, it's, it's amazing, of course. Um, so I, I, try to, I try to stay away from that. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, there, for one, there's the clear requirement of communication there. Like you, you, that is something you cannot sweep under the rug. And then, and then you get into the land of second chances, right? You know, someone comes clean, someone is honest, someone is truly apologetic. Okay. What is like, how do you view second chances and what light do you view second chances Um, you know, that's one of those things where we have to learn to switch the lens from, well, they want to give it a second chance, but do I want to give it a second chance and understanding why, why would you want to give it a second chance? And I think it has to go past, um, changed behavior, their Mm -hmm. changed behavior. I think it has to go to, you know, your, your vision of not just recreating what you had before there was that cheating moment, right? Not just trying to 
get nostalgic and go back in time, but like, can you build more? Like, is right. there a moreness to the relationship that you could build? Not just going back to what was, but now that you've had this pivotal moment, like what can you build on that? If you can't answer that question, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but you need to decide that. I think that's the lens that you need to look at your, your, you know, incentive right. and what is the moreness that you could build to the relationship? Not just going back to what was before there was that, that negative catalyst. That is the lens that I would recommend. And having had no experience there, I try to stay away from it, but that would be my like mindful, you know, kickstart for a, a thought process like that. It's so true. Like a lot of people get wrapped up in how they imagine the relationship could have went or maybe how it was like in the initial stages of the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I do like that, like thoughtful, lens, like you said, of looking at, can you build, um, on the relationship further? Because if not, then that it's unfortunate to say, but you have to cut your losses there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and that's obviously something that you have to make the decision on your own. And, you know, I I think it's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors in there. Now we're talking about like, are you believing in potential? Are you looking at potential? Are you looking at reality? Like Mm -hmm. we all need a heavy, heavy dose of reality in in any relationship, platonic, romantic business, whatever it is. Like we can't stay hung up on what we wish is and what we wish would be who we wish we were. Like we have to open our eyes to, to the moment. And that could be the toughest thing to do. But I think journaling therapy, mindfulness in general is, is can be like a splash of cold water on your face in that instance. And that's the lens that we have to look at reality, not potential. It sounds like me and you are both very, um, like realists, but also like optimistic. Like, I don't feel like I'm jaded, but I would describe myself as being very realistic to, um, situations, friendships, my emotions and where, um, my boundaries are, you know, like how much, how much I have to give really. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best way to look at life. I mean, that's very much me. I'm very realistic, very practical, but also I, sometimes I I describe myself as delusionally optimistic, right? It's not really delusionally. It's what I call logically optimistic. Like my whole thing with like mindfulness and self-development is I used to clown on self-development because I thought it was silly. Who are these people to tell me this or that or whatever? And I still almost have that mentality. What I've learned though, and the reason that I'm so leaned into mindfulness is mindfulness is something where the answer that you get from the practice of mindfulness it's 100% personal. It's always from what you get from your own introspection. I can't tell you what to get from your introspection. That doesn't right. make any sense. You, I can lead you there. I can give you questions, prompts, mantras, perspectives, angles to consider, but you get from it what you get from it. And there's a sense of like logical mindfulness that I really gravitate towards. And it's basically looking at the memories you have, the experiences you have and saying, okay, here's what I've experienced and here's what I can take from it. I've experienced A, therefore I believe C, B, C, D, whatever it may be. I believe all these things because of those experiences. And that's different from the reason that I used to kind of lean away from self-help, which is here's the truth. Here's the truth. Do this. You deserve this. Why do you deserve something? Like, you know, there's a certain level of respect and opportunity and equality that, of course, every single person deserves in life. But beyond that, why do you deserve something? You deserve something because of what you do, because of the experiences you've been through, all day. And I think we all have the ability to connect our experiences looking back, of course, right? We can connect the dots looking back, not forward. But that is what mindfulness is all about. Looking at your memories, the hurtful ones, the painful ones, and saying, here's experience A, and here's what I believe based on it. And I think when you have standards that are derived from experiences or boundaries or dreams or aspirations, that is when they become really, really powerful. And that all comes from reality, 
and a choice. And that's a choice of what you believe from reality. And I choose to choose, I choose the optimistic angle. There's right. a negative one you could, you could, you know, you could look at your, all the times you've been broken up with and you could say, well, that's because I'm unlovable. And you could, you could do the negative logic there. You certainly could. Or right. you could say, I deserve the opposite of that. I've been through that. Therefore, I do never, I never deserve to go through that again. That's the positive one. And that is a choice. But regardless, I can't tell you what to do. You have to tap into your memories and your experiences and make those leaps of logic. And to me, that's why I love mindfulness because that's what it's all about. And I feel like realistic mindfulness, like you were just describing, is what I actually think manifestation is. I think that when you manifest something, you're setting realistic, mindful intentions for yourself that you plan on acting on. Um, And that's what I think manifesting is, not just writing it down in my notebook and looking at it in a year, you know? Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I I did. I wrote a journal on mindfulness because I was so at war with that you see every influencer just like yeah i woke up this morning and i manifested and then i mm-hmm. went to I was like you what, what did you do exactly right and and again i'm not hating on anyone who has no. a different manifestation or maybe they're they're visualizing good for you but at the end of the day <laughs> you're not manifesting something you're taking action that's producing a result that's what you're doing yeah. but in order to act you have to believe it's possible and i really right. do believe manifesting is telling yourself a different story if you know when it comes to dating and manifesting a, a soulmate or a partner, if you're sitting there and saying all men are pigs, all men are dishonest, or all women are crazy, all women are gold diggers, right? Just the extremes here. How do you expect to tell yourself that story and then go out and find the opposite of that? Right. I don't think that's possible. And I'm not like um, particularly cosmic or karmic or spiritual in, in the idea of the universe is listening, but in that sense, that. Logically, it doesn't compute for me where you can say something to yourself like all men are this or all women are this, but then expect and then not find, find it. the opposite. Right. We have to tell ourselves the story we want to find and reinforce what we deserve rather than continuing to tell ourselves stories of what we don't deserve, how we have been hurt, so on and so forth. There's a place for that, of course. But I think manifesting starts with telling yourself that story and then is reinforced by your actions, of course. Right. Because if you don't act on it, then you're really just daydreaming. Like, let's not even call it manifesting. Like, let's call it, it, that's what you're doing. You're sitting there and you're dreaming about what it would be like to live in that reality and essentially removing yourself from actually achieving that reality because you're not doing anything for it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been, you know, I think the, the cliche study that everyone references is that, you know, when we think about goals, um, it releases dopamine and it kind of tricks us, tricks ourselves into thinking that we're accomplishing just by thinking of the goal. Um, the body's weird in that sense. We get that dopamine and it feels good. And we're like, yeah, I'll just keep thinking about the goal or I'll keep writing down my list of my, you know, million dollars this year or whatever it is. And it tricks our head into think we're actually taking steps towards it, whereas we're really not. So I'm all on board vision boarding and visualizing and, you know, meditating and, and doing all those kinds of things. But that is to get you in a headspace of, action of lean forward so you can take action and so you're incentivized to do that consistently but if you don't take step two then step one to your point is um, a form of daydreaming (laughs) and another way i've heard of it when you just described like from a relationship i listened to a podcast that just called it like mental masturbation which i thought was so funny when you said about releasing dopamine because that's literally what you're doing you're pleasuring yourself mentally and how great it would be to to live like that and then you 
come back to reality. And that's yeah. not at all um, yeah. your scenario that you're in. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. I think that that's the more practical way of it, certainly. I agree. So switching gears just a little bit before we get into your book, um, which is That's that's Bold of You. you. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. That's what I was going to say. I have people say to me all the time, and it's usually my like my sisters and close friends, but they don't know how to have fun. Like they don't know how to have a hobby. Like I say to them, like, what do you enjoy doing? And their response is, I don't know anymore because, you know, they're mothers or they're working. And like, what do you say to people before we talk about your book that don't know what they enjoy? Oh man, that's such a good question. I, I, th- I feel like I got lucky because I was raised in a very creative household. Um, for a couple of years, I went to a Waldorf school, which is kind of like a Montessori, kind of like no technology. You just learn by playing. Um, oh, wow. When I was young, I did that um, for a couple of years. Um, and I was raised in that, in that, you know, go out and play, you know, n- you know, limited TV and kind of, kind of upbringing. And I think that really helped me just like, oh, if I'm curious about it, if it's enjoying, if I could get my hands dirty, I do it. And I think that really helped lead me to have a curious mentality. So I, I, I have a lot of empathy for the opposite, which is, you know, being conditioned to work, to socialize and to work towards the big goals in life, right? Marriage, right. kids, house, whatever. And everything else kind of falls by the wayside. I don't have a great answer other than the first step is what you described. I would say it's recognizing that you want an outlet, but you don't have one. The only way to go out and find one is to leave room for one and to experiment. Like, I think, you know, if that's a desire of yours, you have to go out and find a way to do it. And even if it sounds forced by like setting a day on your calendar where you're just going to like explore, um, I, <laughs> I think you need to do that. Like, I, I think the, the thing when it comes to like finding a passion, finding a hobby, finding an outlet is you have to be inspired by something. And I think consumption plays a big role there. Like uh, I spend a lot of time on YouTube and I spend a lot of time on Reddit, for instance. And my, my algo leads me to all kinds of weird things. And I love it. I'll watch someone build a sandcastle. I'll watch someone, you know, strap a GoPro on their head and walk around a villa. Like I'll just watch random things. And it's so inspiring. And it's led me to so many ideas and randomness. But if we're not inspiring ourselves, why are we surprised that we can't go out and find a hobby or an outlet? So I think you have to put yourself in a scenario where you can be inspired. And I think sometimes it's just a, it's a matter of just like forcing it and doing it and like, okay, I'm going to not do this and I'm going to watch this or I, I would never do that. So I'm going to do it today. I think we sometimes we <laughs> have to force ourselves to do it because it's so easy not to. It's so easy to be in a comfort zone where you just do the same things over and over again. Um, so I, I don't have a great answer just because I, I feel like I'm drawn towards mine. But I think you have to purposefully, actively, intentionally leave room for it. And be inspired to leave room for it. Like consume something that would inspire you. That's different. You know, if you always watch reality TV at the end of the day, don't do something else. Like leave room to be inspired. I like that. I think that's a great answer. And I brought it up before referencing your book because pursuing a hobby when you don't have any and trying all of these things is something that could be considered bold. You know, like you have to have a, a good support system who's not judgmental while you're doing these things Um, because nothing is worse than when you try something and like you either get made fun of for it or like shot down immediately. That's a, that's a really easy way to just kill the spark out of whatever you were feeling. That's so true. Yeah. uh, That reminds me of a couple of things. I would also say it's like, there is this tendency nowadays in a day of social media and, and girl bossing and guy bossing and CEO that 
if you have a hobby, it needs to become a side hustle. You need to make money from it. Like we don't need to make money from everything. It doesn't have to be a mm-hmm. business idea or an app idea. You could literally just do something crazy thought because you enjoy it or it offers you peace or it's curious, whatever. Like I, I really think we need to lean into that. I think you know, social media and YouTube and everything has really democratized the way that we can make money, which is great and fantastic. But it's also pressured us into this mentality of making money from anything we do. Yeah, because I mean, really, someone will share their art, and then it'll blow up. And then next thing you know, they have a shop open on Etsy, because a million people have messaged them and say, when is this for sale? And then what they were passionate about is something that could now be stressful, or maybe they don't even feel the same way about anymore because um, they have to make certain things. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's practicality, and they're like, maybe you should make fun. I don't know. But I think at the end of the day, we shouldn't have a mentality that's like, well, why would I do that? You know, if I can't make money from it, that's an L. And then I think along the lines of what you said that I, I referenced in the book a little bit too is, you know, someone, if anyone, like, I know this is like really cheesy, but like if anyone ever clowns on you or makes fun of you, like they're the loser, like truly anyone who makes fun of someone else who is putting themselves out there, who is willing to be a beginner, who is willing to try, who is willing to try first and, and someone makes fun of you. They, they are the one who deserves judgment. As much as they're passing judgment on you, it should bounce off you to them because that's embarrassing. That's so embarrassing for someone. That's why, like, you know, people make fun of me all the time. Like, oh, Case, okay, so you post inspirational quotes. Like, to me, I, I look at that and it only fuels me to be like, man, I would hate to be you. Like, I feel sorry for you. You're going to yeah. count on someone who is doing something from a good place. They're not hurting anyone else. They're trying. They're putting themselves in a vulnerable position. And you're going to make fun of them. So uh, I agree easier said than done because I mean, I mean, formative life experiences come from the times where people made fun of you in your childhood and you never let go. Totally get that. Totally get it. I think there's something empowering about being mature and old and secure in yourself where you can finally open your eyes and realize that anyone who does that is by definition a loser. (laughs) Agreed. Trying is cool. Trying is cool. Trying Um, anything. It really is. And you just got to put yourself in that position. That's your mantra. Trying is cool. Trying is cool. Um, So maybe that can help as well. And I like how in your book, so we'll get into it a little bit. um, I like how you give a list of things that are bold. And some of them are as simple as send that first text. Or um, I even remember reading, I'd rather be the person that sends three texts than none at all. (laughs) And it's like, how true is that though? Because in a day where it's so easy to just cut people off or ghost people, or it's so cool to not care, wouldn't you rather just be known as someone who cared a lot? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the first chapters in the book is, uh, it's, not a, it's not a dating book necessarily. It could apply to all areas of life. But there is this dating advice that makes the rounds on the internet every day. Hey, there's so many varieties of it. And it basically says that whoever cares less wins. Whoever cares Mm -hmm. less has more power. Whoever cares less won't get hurt. And I think practically that might be true, but I think that is, not coming at anyone, but I think that is a loser mentality. I really do. I think that is the fastest way to regret. And it's easy to dress it up. It's easy to say, well, you know, I don't want to care more or I don't want to care first because that way I'm protecting myself. And I think oftentimes we confuse like self-preservation. We think, you know, of course, Self-preservation. We are wired to protect ourselves, and I think we absolutely should. But I think sometimes we we over-rationalize it, and really, what we're doing in those instances, we think we're just being, you know, we're preserving ourselves. Really, we're acting out of fear, 
Mm-hmm. And I think specifically we're acting on a fear of repeated experiences, right? The desire to protect yourself doesn't come out of the blue. It likely comes from a time where you opened yourself to being hurt and you were hurt and you never want to experience that again. So you close off, you go cold, you adopt the mentality of I'll match energy. That's also another one I hate. Right. I match energy. You I hate first, that too. That is like you are waiting for permission to live your life. But um, so anyway, the, the idea of that's bold of you is to stop doing things like that and specifically to stop doing things like that out of the recognition that we hold ourselves back in life. We water ourselves down because of words, literally words, like other people's words, Mm -hmm. other people's words in the way that they might describe us. You are too much. You are too sensitive. You are too ambitious. You are too independent. You're too loud. You're too quiet. Their words, their judgment, their reality, the lens through which they look at life. And we allow that to become our own. Their judgment their possible judgment becomes our own self-judgment. And then there we are doing these things that are just not truthful to us. And I, I'm just really at war with self-judgment that comes from other people's judgment. And that's what yes. the whole book is about, about it's bold of you to not judge yourself in the way that you think other people might judge you. <laughs> so yeah. that's the whole concept. And I just get fired up talking about it because I think really do think the key to setting yourself free in life in any sense is to be kinder to yourself. Again, another cheesy cliche, but it's true. And I think the most practical way to do that is take back control of the words, literally the words that we use to describe ourselves. And I think it's bold of you to reinvent that and to say, yeah, I am sensitive. I am loud. I am quiet. I am too much. I am too this, whatever. But to embrace it as a superpower instead of this detractor. Uh, I think it's a wild thing. One of the the quotes that I have in the book that I come back to is like, I think that um, caring less, inevitably it will protect you more. But I think whoever cares less will regret more. I really do think you'll regret more if you care less because, you know, if you're only matching energy, if you're caring less, yeah, you probably will avoid some hurtful circumstances, ones where you get rejected right off the bat or one where you invest a couple months in a relationship and it turns south. You, you'll avoid those short-term pain. But I think you're setting yourself up for a lot of long-term regret and that you'll look back and you'll have a lot of what-ifs. And what-ifs are so painful because by definition, you can't change it. You can't change the past. And, you know, I'm not recommending people go out there and be a glutton for punishment and just set yourself to be hurt all the time. Be, be practical, of course. And if you put yourself out there and it's not reciprocated, then you're done. But, you know, not looking back and having those what-ifs, I, I think is super, super powerful. I agree with what you said about regrets. And I think that it applies to another concept in your book about like that is what it is mentality. Like yeah. if you if you live your life with the is what it is mentality, that's another way that you end up regretting not taking chances and not um, pursuing your truth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so I, I call the, the, like the time in your life or the mentality in your life, I call it living in the gray. The gray is where you're just kind of floating. You're just doing whatever you're waiting for permission. You're, you're waiting for other people to, to come to you, to tell you what you should do, what you're worthy of. We're basically looking at ourselves through the eyes of other people rather than through our own eyes. And the idea of a, it is what it is mentality, unfortunately, is kind of a defeatist mentality. It's a mentality that certainly derived from some pain, from some trauma, from some disappointment. And it's kind of like, ah, you know, whatever. Life is life. I'll just sit here. This is derived from the mentality of life is happening to you, not for you. Um, and it doesn't make anyone a bad person, of course, if they're at a time in their life where they feel passive. But I think step one is realizing that. And step two is, you know, realizing that, you know, the key to breaking out of a pattern, and we all go through patterns, we all go through cycles where we experience what we don't deserve time after time. 
And, you know, some of that might come from decision making, but some of it might come from just good old fashioned bad luck, bad randomness. It is what it is. I think the key (laughs) to breaking out of that is realizing that a pattern in life is a pattern until it's not a pattern anymore. That is how patterns work. And unfortunately, when we're in a pattern, far too often we look at the pattern as proof of why we're in the pattern. Well, you know, I've gone on six first dates and they've all been bad because I'm unlovable. Therefore, I'm in the pattern versus I've been on six bad dates. Number seven is where I'm breaking out. That's how you break the pattern. So again, you know, it's, we can, you know, label this as fairy tales and butterflies, or we could look at it logically and say, I'm looking at the facts. I'm looking at exhibit A, B, and C, and then I am making an optimistic, mindful conclusion from it. And conclusions dictate your reality, right? Again, to the whole manifestation thing. So you you can break out of patterns. You can break out of it is what it is. You could break out of matching energy, even if you've been doing your whole life, just through recognizing that uh, and then setting new standards, boundaries, goals based on what you've experienced. And it's all based on experience. And I think that's why it's, it's so important to be introspective in that sense. I think that you have so many good like tips. And I think that you have so many good thoughts. I've enjoyed everything that you've shared with me today. I want to give people like more into your podcast so we can say the name and plug it so they can find it. And then let's say your Instagram handle too, and your book, like everything where, like all of the ways people can find you essentially. Well, thank you. Like I said, I love to talk about myself. So any, any excuse to do that is (laughs) well received on my end. Yeah. The podcast is called new mindset. Who dis it's twice a week, Monday and Thursday, uh, new mindset, who is where you can find all my books, all my journals. And then case.kenny on Instagram, um, is the home for everything. So if you just follow me on Instagram, case.kenny, I'm always plugging different things there and posting. So that's probably the best spot to go. Perfect. And if you listen to this episode and if you love this episode, feel free to reach out to us with feedback and just let us know that you loved it or, you know, what specifically resonated with you. Um, And yeah, give us five stars on Spotify if you listen to this.